Good morning. That felt really long. I was like, okay, let's go. Um, my name is Samson, for those of you who don't know. Um, before Tim comes up to walk us through the next passage in Acts 19, I just want to give a brief recap of what we talked about last week. Uh, last week, we opened up Acts 19, and we've read about how Paul has moved now from Corinth to Ephesus, and it's there in Ephesus that um, the Apostle Paul meets this new guy named Apollos and 12 unnamed men, just 12 men along with Apollos. And in dialogue with them, the Apostle Paul, and, and helping them understand more fully what, what God is doing, um, shows, shows them that there's a Holy Spirit. And, there, and at this point, Apollos says to, to Paul, what, what do you mean a Holy Spirit? We, I have no knowledge of this. And you know, in that dialogue, what we're told is that Paul then baptizes Paulus and these men, and then afterwards lays his hands on them, and, and, and through the, the mighty power of God, they receive the Holy Spirit. And it is upon receiving the Holy Spirit that these men prophesy and speak in tongues um, for the sake of the gospel and to the glory of God. It is... Um, what we're walking through in Acts is this, this change, this new way of, that God's working and bringing about salvation for his people. And, and, and this passage is an example of that. God is showing himself through, through Christ bodily, and now he is starting to indwell people, live inside of people through the Holy Spirit. And that, and that is a, a new phenomenon for people like Apollos. God is moving and he is revealing himself in different means. He is moving in through the Spirit as the prophets of old prophesied about. What we see unfolding here is the, norm, uh, is, is the new normative means that the, belie- the person believe and receive the Holy Spirit and then be baptized. All those who are saved are indwelled by the Spirit of God. If you are God's, he dwells in you. This was at this point a novel idea for Apollos. He did not know that salvation and union with Christ are one and the same. All believers are indwelled by the Spirit. This differed from what Apollos had received in that his baptism was of John, which we read about last week. He received a a baptism of preparation, a baptism of repentance. It was an act looking forward into the future that that, uh, are baptized in the name of, uh, excuse me, uh, looking into the future when sin would be removed once and for all from the people of faith. Looking with anticipation to the one coming, which is Jesus. Tim took a good deal of time explaining what exactly the difference was between the baptism of John and this new baptism of of the Spirit and in the Spirit. Um, And the the key difference that he got around to talking about through, through Acts 19 was that we as believers are baptized in the Lord Jesus and take on the qualities and characteristics of the Lord Jesus. In other words, we are baptized in the spirit of the Lord Jesus, and we are united to him in that baptism, and his spirit dwells in us. 
Therefore, we are given an alien righteousness and Christ's new nature. This is why Apollos is surprised by what Paul tells him there in Acts 19. And he says, do you have the Spirit? In Apollos' mind, he would have thought rightly that according to the Old Testament, that the, the Shekinah glory of God dwells in the tabernacle and not in people. But now, the Spirit of the Lord dwells in, not in temples, but in us, his temp, new temples. Going back to it, uh, Tim talked about the water, and when we get wet it, through baptism, we take on the qualities and characteristics of being wet. <laughs> you know, when you go back, when you go down in the water, you are, you are now wet, you are different. And, and, and the spiritual reality of our baptism is no different. We do not merely copy or act out the qualities and characteristics of Christ. It is in union with God, the Father through the Spirit, that we are being formed into the likeness of Christ, whereby our new self is being brought together in the image and substance of Jesus. This is our salvation realized, union with Christ. We are no longer sin-filled. We are in the Spirit of God. We now choose to sin when we sin. We are no longer slaves to our emotions or to our sin. We are free indeed. Sin has no tyranny over us and the power of the Lord Jesus to the glory of the Father. Now I'd like to invite Tim as we walk through the next passage of Acts 19. Thank you. Thank you, Samson. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Good morning. Last week, um, as soon as I got done, I had uh, some of those dungeon dwellers, you know, those guys downstairs, they hurried up here and like, what, you don't love us anymore? You forgot to say anything. So I have to uh, give a shout out to them this morning especially to Brian with a Y, if you know him. Um, anyways, good to be together here with you. Thank you for coming this morning. Looking forward to this. Have you turned to Acts 19 yet? <clears throat> if not, if you could do that, please. Um, so Samson was talking a little bit about baptism there and just reminding us of that and, and how the Spirit of God is at work in regards to placing us into the body of Christ and then how Christ's life is going to be lived out through our mortal body, right, on this planet. We're going to see this now from verse 8 to verse 20. That's what we'll be in here in Acts 19. So if you want to look into that, uh, I'll just give you a little kind of an overview picture. Maybe you grabbed uh, some of the notes to see some of this too. But what we're going to see is discipleship in action, okay? And, and it's going to start out with... Uh, the Word of God spreading. That's what we're going to see in the first couple verses. And then we're going to see the power of God in all of that because discipleship is all part of what God is doing in a person's life. And He might be wanting to use us in that, and so we're engaging with those individuals. Then we're also going to see then how Christ is magnified and that also is part of discipleship. If you're ever wondering, well, I, I'd be willing to disciple somebody, but I don't know what to do. Raise Christ up, right? We'll talk about this in a little bit here. And then we'll see the Spirit of God at work in all of that, bringing conviction, bringing people to a change in their thinking about what God says versus what they thought and how they respond to that then. And we're going to see the Word of God then just magnified and, and, and uh just spreading all over the place. So watch as we go into this. So if you're with me 
in Acts chapter 19. Let's get started in the first couple of verses, and we'll break these down for you. <clears throat> it says, uh, talking about Paul, right? He's come to, to this town. He's, he's actually engaged with these 12, and uh, now he's moving into the synagogue. He has said in Acts 18 that I'll come back. If the Lord wills, I'll come back. Evidently, it was the Lord's will, because here he is. And now he moves into the synagogue, and he begins to teach. It says, he went in the synagogue, and he spoke boldly for three months reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, so it gives you a little bit of a, a scenario here. So Paul is now engaging with this uh, group of, of Jewish people in the synagogue. It's probably one of the longest times that he is teaching in a synagogue. If you've remembered as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen him come to a location. Immediately he goes to a synagogue. Sometimes he makes it to the second week, you know, sometimes a little bit longer, and then out he goes, right? Like, hey, we're not going to hear this. But here he has an opportunity for three months to speak to them. Now, I want you to see something here first off. Notice it says that he spoke boldly. What I find interesting is several places in Scripture, Paul actually writes and asks prayer for boldness. Now, to me, when I read that, I think, Paul, what in the world are you doing? You seem to be the most bold guy when it comes to the things of the Lord, at least as we read. You don't seem to have the same troubles that I do. But evidently he did, because, and he recognized it because he asked prayer for that. I don't know about you, but I can identify with that. <clears throat> the desire to be used by God so often for me stops either A, <laughs> when I recognize I'm not trusting him. Oh, I'm facing a situation and I don't know if I want to believe God for that. Or B, it stops when self is in control. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. I've often referenced just being in a, in a seat on an airplane beside somebody, and it seems like the Spirit of God pokes me in the ribs and says, Tim, start talking to them. Oh, Lord, you don't want me to do that, do you? And besides that, I don't want to do that either. I'm tired. I just want to go zoned out here for three hours, whatever this, this flight is. And, you know, this person doesn't want to hear it anyways, right? They got their book open already, or they're acting like they're wanting to sleep, or they've stuck their earbuds in or something, but they don't want... No, no, son, talk, talk. I don't want to do that, right? Selfishness. Those things impact me. Paul ironically writes from Rome a letter to this church right here, and in chapter 6 actually asks them to pray for him that he would speak with boldness. So it's a need for all of us. And if you can identify with that, my encouragement to you is to pray and ask, for, ask the Lord for the same thing. Lord, would you give us boldness in what we're going to learn here as we go through this. Now remember, Acts is not just a history lesson. For history's sake, it's telling us something so that as we learn about this, we're then able to apply it to our own lives. We're able to say, okay, God, just as you work there, so we want to trust you to work here. Remember we talked about this area of Ephesus in Asia roughly goes about geographically to the, to the Texas, Louisiana area that we have, right? Like, that's how big this was. And he's starting out with 12, and now it's going to explode, how does that happen? Somebody speaks with boldness. Somebody steps forward and responds to the Spirit of God and says something that then impacts lives. You might be that somebody 
But boldness or lack of it will cause us to pull back, right? So we need the Lord right away. We know that we need him. So it says he spoke with boldness for three months. And then it says reasoning and persuading. These are words that have to do with the heart and the mind. Actually, in the way they show up, it's in the mind and the heart. I should get that for you. In other words, as Paul is teaching to them, he is appealing to their thinking. He's trying to say things to them so that they might understand. And in the understanding of that, that that might move then into their heart where they believe. Ah, I get that. Now, that presumes that he understands the message, right? That presumes that he knows that I've got to talk to people in such a way that their, their minds can follow this. I don't say things that they're going like, what? What are you talking about? We speak simply. We speak in ways that the mind can follow. And as we do that, the Spirit of God is beginning to work in their hearts and lives and move that as they um, participate with Him, just so you know, as they participate with Him, He moves that into the heart. There's a belief that happens. And so it says then that he was reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. He understood all of that. But when some were hardened and did not believe, and the reason I said as we're uh, participating with the Spirit of God is that these people did not. They chose. Those words are also talking about the mind and the think, or the heart, rather. And they were saying here, it says, but they were hardened in their thinking. They're like, nope. Nope, 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 nope. And so therefore they did not believe. They were not being born along by the Spirit. They were not willing to do that. They were making choices. We know the Word of God tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we see it here. It says, but they spoke evil of the way. If you don't know, that little phrase, the way, would be one of the ways in which they describe Christians, right? The belief that we have of Jesus Christ as a Savior of the world. That's called the way. So they spoke evil of the way before the multitude. And so he departed from them and withdrew the disciples. He decided, okay, I'm moving on. Now, I believe this is one of the hardest things for us to do. Is like As we're engaging with people, if they're not responding to the things that, that we're wanting to speak about God to them, how do we know if we are to continue on and just carry you through with that and trust the Lord for longer? I see Liz back there. You know what? Her sister prayed for her for 50 years. How do we know when to do that? Or how do we know when to say, okay, I need to move off from here and now I'm going to focus in another area? How do we know how to do that? You know what we have to do? We have to ask God for that. We don't have that, that, that knowledge that's innate, that's, that's part of us. We have to turn to Him. Lord, what do you want me to do? And we walk by faith. We trust him. In Liz's situation, her sister just faithfully, nope, child, you just keep coming to ask me. You just keep coming to ask me. You just keep coming to ask me. 50 years, God? Yep, 50 years, if that's what it takes, right? But we're trusting him for this. So they leave there, and it says then that he went to this school of Tyrannus. It doesn't really matter the location. He's not making a big deal of that. Other than to say he gets out of the synagogue, he gets into a place then where guess what? Every day for two years, this guy Paul is teaching. What an incredible opportunity that would have been. I wonder how many people started to come to that and after a while said, you know, eh, I, don't, eh, I don't really feel like going today. And they just began to drift off, right? Just people moving away from that. God, though, was at work. 
And we know this because it says, this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Everybody. This was impacting people who were coming. It seems like Paul probably stayed in that Ephesus area, but as people came and listened to that, then they began to spread that out. Little by little. No wonder it spread over Texas and Louisiana area because everybody's talking about it. Everybody's, uh, uh, you wouldn't believe what I've been learning. I've been going to this place and this guy named Paul and he's been talking about this Jesus and it's blown my mind. You got to hear this. You ought to come to this. Let me tell you, you can't come, so I'll tell you myself, right? So, so he's doing this and everybody's hearing Jew and Greek. So what we're seeing is the word of God spreading. Moving on then to the next verse, 11. It says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So what we're seeing here is that God is authenticating both his messenger and his message. He's authenticating his messenger and his message. In other words, he's saying, what this guy's telling you, that's of me. And how is he proving that out? It says, now God worked so it's God who's doing this. It's not Paul. Don't get, we're going to see here some of the mechanism, if you want to say that God used. Let's not get all caught up in, the, in that. It's God, really, who's at work here. It's God who works unusual miracles. I mentioned to you last week, I thought all miracles were unusual. Well, these are unusual, unusual miracles, meaning that they are not the norm. They're miracles that they, uh, had, ha, that they were observing and seeing and going, this isn't what we have seen before. Now, you and I have, at least in some, as we've looked back into Scripture, and we've actually seen this. Let's look at this. It says, so uh, he did unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So God is actually, mechanism-wise, he's using the hands of Paul, he's using the handkerchiefs of, of Paul, he's using the aprons of Paul, the, the um, handkerchiefs, uh, reminding me, I don't know about you guys, maybe some of you do this today, but my dad always had a handkerchief in his back pocket. White thing, pulled that out, it was always folded neatly up, right? Like, he always unfolded it, found an empty spot. <laughs> this is gross, isn't it? Blew his nose in this, Folded it back up, stuck it back in his pocket, and hopefully when he needed it again, there it was again, right? Like, now we have Kleenex, thank goodness for that kind of stuff. Can you imagine? Well, this is Paul's handkerchief. I don't know if he blew his nose in it or not. All I know is what was happening was when people were touched by those things, their diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. That's what was happening. The reality of that was all because of God. We've seen this. Do you remember that there was this woman who had this issue of blood? Do you remember? And Jesus is walking along, and, and she said, if I know, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch that, I know I'll be healed. Why did she believe that? Well, God himself said it was because of her faith. Your faith has healed you. You had to try this one, this Christ. Oh, if I could just touch the hem, that's all I need to do. I don't even have to touch him. Like she was trusting in him, not in trusting in touching the garment. We get all caught up in the mechanisms. The mechanisms aren't what, or what are important. It's what God's doing. And you and I at some level are mechanisms. We're the individuals that God can use, but really what matters is what is God doing. And we're seeing this, right? We're seeing the very power of God demonstrated. As you trust God to use you in the lives of others, you can count on that same kind of thing happening where God in his power comes through, not for you, but for himself. 
It's not so that he bails you out. It's not so that he shows you as being something. You're a handkerchief. You're an apron. You're a hand. It's the power of God. And why is he doing that? It says then, let's pick this up in the, in the next um, verse 13. He's doing this. We're going to see this in this segment here. He's doing this so that Jesus Christ would be magnified. He's raising him up. Now watch as we talk about this. It says then, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Right, so Luke is giving us a bit of a contrast here. What we've just seen is Paul is engaging with people. He's teaching them, and God is using miracles to show that the message that he's delivering is accurate and true. It's of God. And so Luke is now taking opportunity to say, hey, let me show you the contrast to this. Let me show you the opposite of this. So we have in this context some who are trying to use the name of Jesus for their own sake. But God will have none of that because he desires for Jesus to be magnified, not these Jewish exorcists. And so it says then, they came, they took it upon themselves. They decided, hey, we're going to do this. We're seeing what Paul's doing and and we're going to get on that. We're going to get a benefit from that for ourselves. So they took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. When I was uh, raised... I was raised in a Christian home, and uh, my parents prayed at every meal. And as little children, we began to be taught to pray. Timmy, this is your opportunity. Why don't you pray for us? And they didn't necessarily coach me per se, but I had been in that home long enough to have witnessed how prayer happened around the meal, right? And so little Timmy would try to say certain things, and you know how it is with your kids or your grandkids when they first do that. You think that's so cute, right? Well, we got into this mode where we would pray certain things. Obviously, we were praying for the meal, and then I was always praying for my grandpa because he wasn't a believer, and then whatever else, little things that Timmy wanted, and at the end of it, it was always just an amen, right? Like, did you catch that? In Jesus' name, amen, right? Like, but we just said it so fast because it was just a mantra. It was just a just an amen. But the Word of God tells us that you and I as a believer have the opportunity to pray in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? It means that we're uh, children of God and we have the privilege to function on his behalf. We have the opportunity in the name of Jesus to live and to talk and to do the things that he wants us to do on his behalf. That's part of being described as a son of God. You have the privilege, the opportunity to represent the Father is what you have. So the name, when they're talking about the name of Jesus, what these guys are saying is we're going to usurp that. We're going to take that upon ourselves. They had no right to it. They were not believers. And we're going to find out that it didn't suffice. We're going to find out that what they thought, they were actually producing magic rather than miracles. So they called the name of the Lord Jesus, and look what it says, saying, this is what they said, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Notice it's by the Jesus. It's not by Jesus who we know. It's by this, you know, that Jesus that Paul preaches. It tells you that there's a disconnect that they don't understand. But I want you to see something else. This word exorcist, it's actually used in Mark chapter 5, verse 7. And in Mark 5, 7, 
it's translated in your Bibles as implore. In other words, what they're saying is, we implore you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, what you will find is that Jesus himself will never, never implore evil spirits. Never. He always commands them. And why does he do that? Because he's in charge. But the way that's used in 5-7, Mark 5-7, is that the evil spirits are actually imploring Christ. Do you remember the story? He's kicking them out, and they say, hey, would you, would you let us go to those swine right over there, right? They're impl- would you let us, please? Why? Because they knew he's in authority, not me. So this tells us, again, these individuals aren't understanding that God is the one who's in charge, so they're using terminology that helps you to know that, they're, that these are not believers. These are not people who are following after godliness. It says not only did these ones do it, it says in verse 14, also there were seven sons of Siva. And these seven sons were seven sons of a Jewish chief priest. In other words, a guy who should have at least from the Old Testament understood this. And yet these are the very ones who are trying to, for themselves, gain some notoriety, gain some power, do something for God. And look at how the evil spirit responds to this. He says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? The wording is such that he's saying, like, like Jesus, I, I know him. He, sh- he should have said that. Because as a spirit, none of them are, are um, uh, eternal. They're all created, right? They were created as angels and then fell. They would have known him as the creator. They would have known him as the all-powerful one. They knew this is the one that God made the heavens and the earth with. Right here. So Jesus, I know. And then they're saying, and Paul, I know about. Or I'm acquainted with him. I've heard, oh, maybe it's amongst all the evil spirits. That, hey, you were talking. Oh, man, good grief. This Paul showed up here. We are in trouble now. I don't know. But they had some kind of understanding of him, but not to the same degree as what they understood Jesus. I understand, I know him, I know something about Paul, but you, I don't, who are you? Who do you think you are? And look what it says then in verse 16. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was, whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on, on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So see what happens? We have a situation here where they're trying to accomplish something in their own strength and, and trying to usurp authority for themselves that actually doesn't belong to them, but it actually belongs to you and I. I'm not talking about kicking out evil spirits. I'm talking about functioning on the behalf of the Father. If you're a child of God today, you have the privilege of engaging with the world outside of this building on behalf of your father. So this this is a seven-to-one situation, right? Seven individuals all trying to kick out this demon, and this demon is saying, one of them, uh uh-uh, ain't going to happen. Me and the boy I'm in, we're going to whoop on you. That's my language, right? We're going to whoop on you. And so he does. They're not able Okay, think about this. Don't miss it. What has Luke just been telling us? Paul has shown up and Paul's been delivering a message. Paul has been talking about this Christ. 
And he is describing him to these people and he's telling them of their need and how they need to put their trust in him. And God is authenticating that message. God is saying, that's true. And how do you know it? Well, look what I'm doing, the miracles that I'm doing through this guy. So he's proving that out. And this is one guy engaging with all of these different people. And then we flip the story and Luke is saying, look, on the other side of the ledger, here's seven guys. Ooh, they're big boys. Their daddy is the chief priest. And they can't handle one. With all of their incantations and even calling the name of Jesus on this, they can't even handle one. But over here, on Paul's side of it, ha! We can use handkerchiefs if we need to. And maybe they're even used handkerchiefs. Probably were, in fact. Do you see the difference? What is he trying to do with this, people? He's trying to help us to understand this is the God that we serve. We're not in this camp anymore. This is the God that we serve. And so just as we're seeing God use Paul and these disciples and the word of God is beginning to spread over all of this area through normal people, we should draw a conclusion. Wow, God can do that with me. God can actually use me in the same kind of a way. All right, Lord, where is it at? Like, lead me to it. Let's get to this, right? Notice it says this became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus there. It says then, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Do you see how when we started this out, these guys are saying, these, these, these uh, exorcists are saying, we're going to use the name of Jesus. That's what we're going to try to do. But God will share his glory with no man. It's not so that you guys get acclaim. No, it's only as he is lifted up. That's the only thing that God is concerned about. Not for us to get glory, but that his son gets glory. We see this in multiple places, actually, in uh, this book of Ephesians as well. In chapter 1, I think it's like verse 10 and 11, maybe I threw it in the notes, I think, where there's a reference to that, that God is bringing all things together. Why? Because it's going to be centered around his son. I'll show you, I think I've got a verse here, yeah, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, just as a, maybe a highlight verse for this concept. It says, and he, that's referring to Christ, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church, that's us who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That's what God's about. The power of God is being displayed so that the name of Jesus might be lifted up. So that in all things he gets the preeminence. No wonder then, people, when God is using us at times, he allows us to be in circumstances that become very evident that we can't accomplish what's being accomplished. This must be of him right? No wonder he puts us in places where we have to say, God, I don't think I can do this, and we have to trust him. No wonder he does these things. Why? Because it's in keeping with his plan. I want everything to to work around this son of mine that I'm going to raise up. And what did he say in scripture? I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. As you live your life in such a way that the Spirit of God is demonstrating the life of Christ, guess what's happening? He's being lifted up. What's going on with you? Why are you different than than me? What's happening here? What am I seeing? There's kindness when there should be anger. There's patience when there should be impatience. There's love and grace so undeserved. What is going on here? There's something different. Why? Because through your life, 
He's being raised up, and it has a drawing effect is what it has. It goes on to say then, picking this up in verse 18, it says, and many who had believed, so, so we have a response to this, right? Like, like what Paul is saying, God is showing, and the name of Christ is being lifted up. But it's being contrasted by Luke to show us, like, okay, this is in human strength, for human effort, for human uh, acclaim. No, 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 that's not going to cut it. And that contrast shows to these people, and guess what? It's used by God to bring about salvation. And many who had believed, notice this is past tense now, who had believed, guess what? They came confessing and telling their deeds. What are we seeing? The very fingerprints of the Spirit of God right there. That's his job. If you study him out in Scripture, one of the things that you will find out is that he convicts the world, that's unbelievers, he convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You can count on that. If you're speaking to an unbeliever, you can count on the fact that the Spirit of God is at work convicting that person of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. They can resist. They can, they can deny it just like the people in the synagogue did, Right? But you shouldn't be out there talking to someone going, now where are you, God? Are you here? Are you helping? Am I all alone talking to these people? Are you here? His word tells you plainly that's his job. The Spirit of God convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But guess what he also does in the believer? If you're talking to a believer about any kind of sanctifying thing, if you're trying to disciple in regards to that, you can count on the Spirit of God who's living within that believer that you're talking to. We just noticed this last week, right? Baptism with and baptism by the Spirit. We just talked about these things. The fact that I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God, guess what he does? He's a teacher. He guides me into all truth. That's what he does for the believer. He convicts me. When I do something that is sinful, he says, hey, child, you need to agree with me. Come right back into fellowship with me. So we see the fingerprints of the Spirit of God here. Many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. They were willing to say, hey, guys, I've got, I got to tell you, here's where I'm at. And these aren't good things that they're saying. And it says, also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So Luke is recording this for us so that we understand that this message that Paul is portraying to them, that the power of God is at work in regards to all that, that Jesus Christ is being lifted up, and that the Spirit of God is actually doing His responsibility too and bringing about this conviction. And how do we know that? It says he gave us practical examples. That they actually brought their books. Now this isn't like a book like you and I, but these were writings, like incantations that they would have on pieces of paper or whatever, and they would, they would have them on their body. And they thought there was some kind of magical uh, uh, power to all of that. And so they're bringing these things. They were very important to them. It's kind of like you don't, you don't divulge those. You don't say what's on them because then it loses some. This is all weird, wrong thinking, just so you know. But like, like if we do that, then it loses its power. These are ours. It costs them. It costs them 50,000 pieces of silver for the things that they were now burning, just so you know. In other words, he's not so worried about how much. He's just saying, look, you need to understand this was a value to them. But something has changed. What's changed? The Spirit of God's been at work. Some of you won't like this, but it says what it says. 
Also, many of those who had practiced magic. In other words, they weren't anymore. You'll note that Paul did not go to them and say, hey, I got this message here. This is what we're talking about. But, but you need to clean up your act first. You, you, you need to stop practicing all this magic that you guys are doing. And you get that taken care of. Let's just have a good old book burning time. We'll get rid of all this stuff. And then we'll talk salvation. It's not what he said. He presented their greatest need to them. And they put their trust in Christ for their salvation. And the Spirit of God began to do the work that only the Spirit of God can do. And pretty soon he begins to convict their hearts. And guess what happens? Disciples are growing. That's what you're going to get to see. You're going to see disciples growing. And you're going to be astounded at how the Spirit of God will speak to their heart in ways that you can't or don't. I have been discipling a guy for over five years. He astounds me at times with what he says. Tim, I was do da 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 and he just, and I'm like just grinning from ear to ear, and I'm like, dude, do you realize that what you just told me is what the Word of God says that you should be doing? But he doesn't like reading the Word of God, I'm just telling you. It's part of what God's having to teach his heart. He didn't like it because he came from a background where he had to. It was part of his punishment. Little by little, I hear phrases of, oh, Tim, I was reading the other day. Oh, you were, huh? And I just know, oh, the Spirit of God's at work. He's developing him. He's bringing him along. It's not that I never say anything. I'm just saying it doesn't fall on me. I don't have to, well, here's the five list of do's and don'ts. Well, there should be ten, right? Because we all know there's ten commandments and blah, 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 blah. Notice that the Spirit of God has been convicting their hearts. This is so amazing, isn't it? And so it says, also many of those who had practiced, they're under conviction and they're saying, we're not doing this anymore. It's past tense. And I'll tell you, here's our commitment to it. We're going to get rid of this stuff. We're going to burn it. And so they just kept throwing it on the pile. And that's how much it was worth. God's at work is what he's doing. Well, the last verse tells us this in verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. (laughs) Is that not amazing or what? We have started out in verse 10 where it says the word of God spread through all this region. Now he's changing that and he's saying, after I've told you all of this stuff, now look what's happened. The word of God grew mightily and prevailed. That's a discipleship principle. As we engage with people and encourage them to grow in the Lord, the Word of God is going to grow mightily. It's going to have more authority in their life. Oh, God said that? I didn't know that. Okay, now you've moved from ignorance to light. Now that you know that, the Word of God is now going to challenge you. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Have you ever been reading the Word of God and thought, that's speaking right to me. How in the world did he know that about me? Right? Sometimes it can cut right through. It can nail us. Oh, Lord, I thought this situation that I was engaged in was all perfect and pure and everything else. And now as I'm reading, your spirit just convicts me by what I'm reading here. You know what, God, I was just doing that for selfish reasons. That's all that was about, wasn't it? I didn't know it. I was ignorant about that. But all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb. Well, guess what? Spirit of God is also called the illuminator. 
He reveals. He opens our understanding to this. So as the Word of God engages our lives, it's going to, in essence, grow mightily, meaning in us, in and of itself. It's already mighty, but it's becoming more powerful in us. It's having its impact in us. We're beginning to change into the likeness of Christ because the Spirit of God is using the Word of God and causing it to prevail in our lives, to win the day. Is that not incredible or what? So in the Old Testament, I'll close with this. In the Old Testament, there was a dude called Goliath. You remember the story? Showed up. Philistines. Every day he'd come out. Bunch of dogs out there. Why don't one of you come and fight me? You bring your champion, I'll take him on. Whoever wins, the others serve him. That's how this is going to go. And Israel and their army stood and quaked in their boots until a little guy named David showed up. You know what he said? Is there not a cause? What in the world are we doing standing here looking at this giant quaking in our boots? Is there not a cause? I'll go. I'll take him on so that the name of the Lord might be glorified. Because it's in the name of God, right? That's, that's who he is, is challenging ultimately. And a little guy named David stands up and slays a giant. When I was a little kid, I was taught that lesson. It was a Sunday school lesson all the time. I loved it. Woo! Little boy, you could just imagine that. I actually would go get a sling. My dad traveled, and I actually had a sling from this area. And I would go out and practice with that. And I would imagine all in vain. Because the reality of it is there's a cause right outside these windows. There's a cause right there. For the name of Christ to be magnified right there. And for you and I to have the opportunity to be a David and say, is there not a cause? And Lord, I'm going to trust you for boldness. And I'm going to speak or I'm going to do or I'm going to live in such a way by your strength, through your spirit, so that they might know that difference. And I'll also tell you there's a cause right here. You see, these disciples, these first 12 that he talked about, now this begins to spread. So what we're seeing is disciples discipling others. This is what we're actually asking God for right here at FBC. God, would you so work amongst us as a fellowship? Is there not a cause? Yes. He desires that every life that I'm looking at here, every life is displaying the life of Christ. That in all things, He might have the preeminence. The God of the, uh, the Father, He is going to display power in that. The Spirit of God, He's going to do His work to, of convicting and empowering, allowing us as we grow in Him, right, to participate with Him in that whole process. But it's that, that He might be glorified. In all things, He might have the preeminence. And that includes in our lives to one another, not just out there. How do we engage with each other so that those who are behind us on this path, this walk, we're impacting their lives. And how do we engage with others who are farther down the road with us spiritually that they might impact our lives? 
that that might permeate all our whole fellowship and that the Word of God might grow mightily and prevail in our lives today. That's what we're believing Him for. If that sounds strange to you, can I encourage you to stop and ask the Lord to do exactly what we're talking about in your life. And if you don't have a desire, if you don't have, there's a cause for that, then ask him to work that out in your life too. Trust him for those things. I'm telling you, when you stand in glory, you will be so thrilled as you look back on these days. Oh God, I'm glad you caught my heart. I'm glad that I began to respond to you. I was, I was hearing things, understanding them, and grabbing hold of those with my heart and speaking out as a result of all that, living it out. Let me pray. Father, I would recognize um, as I'm talking here of my own struggles with boldness I actually find it easier, Father, to stand up on this stage with my toes curled around the edge. It's easier to do this than it is to be out in my community and to have a person that I can pretty easily recognize that they don't know you and then to have the audacity and boldness to speak. And I've, I have memories of just this week that have gone by where that has been true. So, Father, I think on behalf of all of us, but certainly for myself, I would say, would you teach me more about you? Would you help me to know who you are, that I might become more and more enamored with you, more taken up with you, more understanding of who you are, and there would be a trust that would be increasing all the more. And because of the awesomeness of who you are, the realities of who I am would diminish. It would be less about me and more about you. And just ironically, as we are dealing firstly with some guys who were, who were disciples of John the Baptist, who he himself said, I must diminish so that he can increase. That's true for every one of us here. That's not easy for us, Lord. We know that. We've lived life long enough to know that kind of maybe gotten to the place where we realize without you it's impossible. But with you all things are possible. Father, would you so work in our lives that we'd be people who are chasing after you, running, wanting. If Paul were here, we'd be here every time. Just wanting to, to glean and, and gaze on you for your son to be lifted up, for us to behold him, and as your word says, that we would be changed in his likeness. These are the things that we're praying for, Father. They are no light matter. They have the effect of life and death on some people, as far as spiritually is concerned. And through it all, Father, as we um, respond to you, it is ultimately that you receive glory and honor and praise from our lives. We say those things, Father, but would you work those so deeply into us that that becomes a cause for us, a reason, a desire and in those moments when we're tempted to bail, because of a love for you and a care for you and an understanding of who you are, we open our mouths. We say something. We do something. We respond to the Spirit of God, your Spirit, who's directing us in that. 
I pray that that would affect us here and that would affect our community too. We thank you for these things, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.